from Boss Track, it's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. I'm your host, Michelle Harris. In this conversation, I talk with Heather Brizzy, Director of IT Service Management at Whitecap. Heather and I talk about being intentional with your career, understanding your why, knowing your strengths, good hard versus bad hard, and staying curious. We had such a great conversation that I personally learned a lot from, and I'm so excited to share it with you. But before we get to the conversation, let me give you a little background on Heather. Heather Brizzy is Director of IT Service Management for Whitecap. She's a Cleveland, Ohio native who has been leading in information technology for over two decades. Throughout her career, Heather has been a transformational leader focused on technology-related operations in the support, services, and project portfolio space. She leverages her strengths in developing and coaching others to build strong, capable teams that excel in service and solutions enabled by technology. Heather has a passion for connecting people to purpose and hopes to assist them in pursuing their best life by understanding their skills, how they can use them, and developing plans to realize those dreams. She recently gave her first TEDx talk at Indiana University in 2022, Building Resilience on the Playground in their Playground series. Heather has been a leadership panelist, moderator, and speaker inspiring others throughout their career. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Heather Brizzy. Hi, Heather. It's uh, so nice to see you, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this episode of Her Heights Squad with Boss Track. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about our conversation and, and looking forward to getting into it. But I'd love if you could, in your own words, give a little bit of background on who Heather Brizzy is. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So I am a mom to three adult age children, and that's a totally different world um, than you ever expect to be when you start when they're little. Uh, But I love to travel, take road trips. Um, I'm in the middle of planning a trip with my mom out to California in the San Francisco area. And I'm going to Europe in a couple of months with my daughter, who's my youngest. Uh, and from you know day-to-day perspective, I am a director on the IT service management side of the house and have been in the IT world for about 25 years now. So um, I love to be able to share my leadership and, you know, especially with women in technology to encourage them along this pathway because it's not always easy. Yeah. You're right, for sure. And I have found that there seems to be a lot of women in tech that are, you know, really wanting to kind of figure out how to navigate the politics or, you know, I I imagine because I've been in very high acquisition mode environments, private equity backed, you know, it's, it's easy to be concerned about getting lost in the shuffle, especially when you get new funding or have new ownership. And I've heard those concerns. So I, I definitely am excited to, to, I think you might be the first person that's been in, in technology that we've talked to. So I'm happy that you've joined us. 
And I can relate to the adult children. You think once they grow up and they're out of the house that you stop worrying and it's just a whole new set of worries. <laughs> it is. And it's so different because as they get older, you start, you know, having less of a say and it's more about your influence. And I think so often that leads to, you know, who are we as leaders too? We're leading in the home, we're leading in our workplaces. And how do we balance that? Like in the encouragement side of it, the ability to influence, but also the listening side, you know, because mm -hmm. we have less of a say in the choices that they make. So we want them to still have us as their sounding boards or their safe places. Yes, I completely agree. I just, I was confronted with one of those conversations just yesterday. So <laughs> I'm feeling that. Yeah. <laughs> And I know you described your position, but can you maybe give us a little bit of background on your actual leadership experience, maybe the types of teams, sizes of teams, the time you've been in a leadership role? Yeah. Um, so I've been, you know, I was just telling my mom, I, I've been leading since I was a little girl. Like a lot of people talk about they wanted to be actresses or you know, president or whatever those things were. And I had those stages too. But for me, I've always liked leading. I came from a very large family and it started with them. My cousins, you know, did that frame thing. And on my frame, it says most likely to be in charge. So, yeah. you know, I'm the second oldest of our generation of grandchildren. And my dad was one of 11 kids. So there's a lot of us. And, oh, wow. you know, that forayed me into that first job in fast food and growing into team management. And then uh, I went away to the military um, where I honed my leadership skills further. And then when I came out of the military, I went back to hospitality, which I knew, and was a training manager and general manager and trained other managers and you know did new store opening. And it was during that time that I really learned that a lot of the skill sets that I had grown between the Navy and hospitality would lend well into technology, that systems thinking. And I did a talk recently at TEDx, Indiana University, where I talked about that experience and that resilience that we build. And it's about that whole career planning. So in that leadership in my teams, I've gone, you know, I started as an agent on the help desk into a team lead, into supervisor, manager, and then up through the other side onto the senior manager in an agile environment. I've had teams that were as small as um, five people and as large as 50 plus people. And today I have three managers that report to me responsible for different service management areas. I've had five managers in operations management when we supported agile development teams, which is morphing into the product management side of the house nowadays as projects start in, turn into products I and mean, we start looking at our application delivery differently so in global. So um, my previous employer was a Fortune 200 and we had a service center in Mexico City and a service center in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I led teams in both of those locations. And I love that rich cultural like perspective and those differences, but also leveraging our skills across those different areas and leading, you know, not just in a team that you're here directly reporting, but now today my entire team is remote. So 
I may have other people that live around the Cleveland or the Ohio area, but I have people from, you know, Pittsburgh all the way out to Las Vegas. And just for people, and I'll definitely put in the show notes, but if somebody wants to look at that TEDx talk, it was called Re- Resilience in the Playground or playground. Building yeah. Re- Resilience on the Playground. Yeah. Okay, great. So thank you for that. And I was going to ask you if you did work with remote teams, because that seems to be a hot topic now. So if something is relatable to remote, that is something we can highlight. So we're here to talk about being conscious in your career, having a conscious career. And I know this is something you're passionate about. And I'd love to for you to tell the audience, like, what does being conscious in your career mean to you? I think the biggest part is the intentionality behind a conscious career. It's where we're making choices and decisions and having that point of reflection. And even just looking back at leading teams that are working in an agile method that we retrospect, we look back at what went well and what didn't. So when we have that same type of attitude toward our careers, how can we get to a different place? Because sometimes we can find ourselves in that zone of, I'm I'm on autopilot, you know, I'm doing what I've always done. I'm just, I'm moving forward or I'm um, looking for that next level of career advancement, whether it's manager to senior manager, senior manager to to director, but I may be staying in my zone. So I talked about, I'm in service management now. I started my career on that help desk side, which is under where service management is. But I've also worked on the project management, the program management, but the thread that pulls through all of them is operations. So I see how things work, how people and processes come together that are enabled through technology. So how do you know we help ourselves see and find that clarity around what's the work that I do? What are the strengths that I bring to the table? Where are areas that I want to develop and grow? And how do I get there? And who are the people that we can surround ourselves with to help us or enable us to get there or, you know, the training that I need or the classes that I want to take, the books that I want to read. Like I'm a big reader and that's been huge in my own development and becoming conscious about the choices that I'm making, the things that I want to do, how I want to lead in my workplace, wherever that is at the time. Yeah. Do you have a process that you use to mentor your teams through that thought process of being intentional? Yeah. I think the first thing is around clarity. So what get clear about the role that you want, the the future that you imagine for yourself. And that's down to like, how much money do I want to be able to make? What are the hours that I want to be able to work? Do I want to be remote, hybrid, in office? What are those things that are really core to how I work best and how do I bring you know my best self into a workplace and about that workplace. What is the type of environment that I want to be in? Do I want to be in a high growth private investment led organization where I'm driving and building? So for me, I'm a builder, like wherever that change is happening, I want to be in the middle of that. I want to be leading that. I want to help others through that. And to see the, the psychological side of the change and not just the doing and the, the how we get there side, because I think that that's really important. So knowing that about yourself and getting clear around that is the first thing. The second thing is acknowledge the things that we value at this stage that we're in. So the things that I wanted at my 25-year-old self, what I'm about to 
you know, become a manager and lead a team and get ready to have my second child, like all of those kinds of things. I may want a very different workplace or work environment or schedule than I do at this stage of my life where my kids are all adult aged and I want to travel and I, I liked that global experience. But would I know all of those things had I not had the experiences that I've had? So like even when you are making decisions unconsciously or there's available to you and you're taking those opportunities as they come, you can still look back and reflect on that and see what that shows you about yourself, what you value, what's the important thing for you at this time in your life. And then after I figure out that part, you know, think about my partnership. So whether I'm married, I'm in a relationship, or it's the people that I'm surrounding myself with, all of those things matter because they feed into my ability to grow and to overcome and to see these other perspectives and achieve the things that I want out of my career. The fourth thing is I'd say play to your strengths. I shifted early in my career to a leader who understood command and control. Like I came out of the military, like this is how we do things. But I read Marcus Buckingham's first break all the rules and then now discover your strengths. And when I read now discover your strengths, I was like, there's another way to do this. And the first thing is to recognize my own strengths and how I leverage them in the workplace. But then how do I help others to sew into the areas where they're really strong and make them really good and effective at the work that they're doing and pull away the stuff that they struggle with more. So I think so often we focused on, oh, you're not good at this. So I'm going to help you be better at that. But this is a losing battle in a lot of cases. And we spend so much time trying to up that level rather than up the strength level and diminish the value over on the part that is not really a good fit for us. And then the last one is write it all down. So get it on paper. Like I'm a big fan of individual development plans, of journaling. When we write that down, we're more likely to achieve that. We also have that accountability level. Like I said that I was going to do this. I, I've got a plan ahead. I've got timelines that I'm, you know, setting up for myself to achieve these things. But then what do I do to then go back and do that retrospective? I, if I have it written down, I can go back and say, here's what I said I was going to achieve. Here's how far I've come. So let's reflect on that and like celebrate the wins that we have in those moments. And then remember that sometimes we're going to take giant leaps ahead. And sometimes we're going to take the little teeny baby steps. But the accumulation of all those baby steps make those giant leaps for us. Yeah, I have so many questions from, from all of that. <laughs> Bring them on. <laughs> so a lot of like people in our audience are new leaders. And I'm just wondering, so some, some people might be a little hesitant or worried that if they start having these conversations that their team is going to expect too much too soon. How do you have that conversation that you're, you're planning longer term and, and setting the expectations? So I think the big thing is around, like I have an individual that I mentored and she said, I want to be a CEO. I'm like, that's awesome. Okay. Let's talk about the skills that you need to be building to become a CEO. And tell me what the CEO that you want to be looks like. And we talk about how they lead strategy. Okay, how do I plug you into areas where you're going to grow your strategic muscle? And then, you know, you need financial excellence. Okay, how do I build that toward that? Do you lead in an organization where it's sales-led? Are they a technology company? What is that? How do I get 
to a place where I'm an expert in this area so that I have the operational excellence to then bring into this role and be able to have that foresight, that knowledge to lead these teams that are then going to deliver against these goals that we have. And then we kind of back you up into it. I'll say that we're seeing a lot more with our newer generations coming in is that, you know, they talk about, well, I feel like I should be a senior already. And I, I remember being that way too. Like, I'm like, I know this stuff. I should be able to manage this team and grow like this, but it doesn't work that way. There's, there's a much bigger story there. And I'll give an example. I had, I was the service, the help desk manager, and I had an opportunity to work as a program manager responsible for our claims area and to align to our operations policy services center and insurance company. And I was like, oh, we use the same type of technology. All of the skill is translatable. The difference is that I'll be leading an application team versus a service desk team, but I'm still leading. Like the, the, that skill set is still the same. And I, it's easy to say I could do this person's job. It's another thing to truly be walking in their shoes. And then you uncover how much more it takes to do this work. But because I took that risk, I learned about <laughs> that difference in what it looks like from the outside versus when I'm sitting in the seat and how do I take that approach? So now I can translate that to somebody else to say, here's one of the things that you may not recognize about this next level of the role and the expectations. And here's the three things that you might need in order to be successful there. And my job as your leader is to help you develop those skills. So this is where we have to do some level setting of expectations. And I also have the other harder conversation that says, if we can't advance you at the rate that you need to, like if we don't have that availability of that position, I understand that you may need to leave the organization to grow yourself, but I'm investing in you to be able to make that decision. And if you need me to connect you to people in my network, I'm happy to do that because I don't believe that people work as well when they're not engaged where they are anymore. If you can't offer them the opportunities, it's a drag on you when you could be bringing in other people that want to work in this new level or at the level that you're at and help you to progress when this other person needs something else. And I've always found that those people, they stay in contact with me. They tell me about their career growth. They know of my investment. So we stay connected throughout the growth of their career. And they tell me about all of their successes. And I get to be part of that too. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And I, I think that the whole foundation is another skill set and leadership. And that's building the trust with your team for them to really listen to you and trust you and, and to know that you have their best, their interests in mind as you're talking through these conversations. The other, another question that I had from that was, you know, of course, not everybody is meant to be a leader. And how would you suggest that leaders that are listening can recognize that in their team and be able to give guidance that maybe that's not the right career path? Because a lot of people think it's just the natural progression. That's what I need to do in my career is to like, I do, I'm at this step and I'm at this level and then I'm a leader and then I'm a manager. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a big one. I'll say that, you know, those people from my 
past organizations that reach out to me, it's often with that question. They're like, Heather, this manager position has come available and I think that I should do it. Tell me why you think you should do it. So there's two sides of it. I want to understand your why and what's your motivation toward that. And often what I hear is it's more money. It's more money, but, and then I get to the other side of it, which is, will you love them? And I know love is a very strong word, but as we are investing in others, there's this side of we've got to nurture and develop and understand and empathize in order to enable them to reach these things that they desire within their careers and to the business outcomes of our organizations. So if we're not willing to make that investment and it's about us, then management might not be the right place for you to be growing your career toward and, and helping them to recognize that. Like, what do you love about your job today? Is there a correlation toward management and where you see your skills? Or another thing that I've used when we're promoting within a team is, does the team already see them as a mentor or their go-to person or subject matter expert in that area that they trust with this information because you can't just put somebody in charge, especially once they've been part of the team, when they're bringing it, this, this skill set up a level, if the team doesn't already see them as that, because then it creates this friction that's very challenging for everyone. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you providing that insight. And and I you mentioned strength finders, strength yeah. strengths finders earlier. And I've been I've been through that process and I don't recall what my strengths were. I should have pulled it out because I knew that was going to come up in this discussion. <laughs> but have you is that a typical process you go through with your team is to have them all take that strengths finders test to know what their strengths are? I haven't done it as a, a team before other than my last position at my former employer. And that was because we had just gone through a, a training. Uh, there's a Society for Information Management program called the Regional Leadership Forum. And um, during that training, we did the StrengthsFinder 2.0, read the book, took the test, and learned about our own strengths and how we can apply them. And then I had language where I could explain to my boss, like, here's how you can best utilize my skill set to bring these advantages into my role, blah, blah, blah. But then having that same conversation with my team, especially when I have a team member who is, is newer to the workplace, that's something that I asked them to do. The company paid for it and they were able to see what those skills were and then help them to see how they can use their skills in their job today and then apply that to what's that future role that I want to achieve, whether it's the next one up that you're looking at or that CEO of the future that you're looking at. Yeah, I think that sometimes these tests make a great team building exercise too, to really learn about each other through the process. So there's a lot of other tests beyond StrengthsFinder. One of the ones that I did early in my career was a personality-based one that's more, it's called birds of a feather. And our whole organization, all of our IT folks went through it. And it, it there's it's a four quadrant thing. Are you more direct or indirect? Learn about your leadership style. And it was funny because in our infrastructure and operations team in IT, it, in the lower right quadrant was the eagle. And most of us were eagles except for one who was the opposite quadrant. And he was a dub and he said, 
when I started in IT, I was an eagle and I got so beat down that I became a dove. But a dove is a peacemaker. They're the people that like bring others together. So it's not to say that one is lesser than another. It's just the different ways that we relate to one another. And I really liked that one a little bit better just because it helped me to think about um, it, the whole purpose of this training was around learning the platinum rule. And the platinum rule means that I care about how you want to be treated, how you want to be talked to, what you need to know to be able to be successful versus how I want to be treated. So that's the golden rule of then it, it's very, again, me focused versus you and how I deliver that. So in one quadrant, you might need a lot more data and information in order to sway you. Another one needs all that social interaction. Another cares about like the, the bringing people together and this, you know, those of us who are more direct and like just the facts, ma'am, and it helps us to have conversations. They might come to you and I might not be a, good morning, how are you today, Michelle? Like, how was your weekend? I might be like, I'm, I'm already in this place of we've got to get these things done and here's what I need to do. And having, you know, some of that chit chat might be like, oh, I'm already here. And how do we have those better conversations? And it starts with knowing how to work with one another. So I appreciate that as well. Yeah, that actually sounds, I don't know, don't know if you've ever done DISC, but sounds yeah. a little bit like that, just giving maybe some different labels and some different mm-hmm. uh, outcomes from, from that. With your own, be, like being conscious, and I know you talked a little bit about your career path and how you kind of made some pivots. Can Is there a time when you really thought through being intentional about your career and you thought you were wanted to be one place and you realized like that wasn't what you wanted at all. It, does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. So I just spoke on this at our local get with it conference this past year. And it was about, you know, my truce with perfectionism. And some of it came from recognizing that to get to be a director in the organization that I was in previously, it meant that I had to make a decision between um, three different areas, one where I would have remained a senior manager and two where I would have moved into a a director position. And the role that I picked, I, I thought that I could have done any of the three that were available to me at the time and been successful, but I made my decision based on the leader that I was gonna report to. And I think that that's really important but what I didn't know was the reason that I wanted to work for him and the style of leader he were was weren't you know in line with what I needed as a leader and how I work. And so we ended up in that place of friction throughout our time together. So it made it, it hard for me. So again, like here I am, I wanted to be a director. I wanted to have the opportunity to be sitting at the table to make decisions that could affect the entire organization that worked across um, different areas of the business and not just in IT and to have that influence that spanned to be able to help change and transform the way that we were working. So I was really excited about that part and I missed the this critical factor that then affected the two years that I was in this role. And that was a real struggle. And I'll say the, the advice that I give to others now because of that is we've got to look at all of those different facets and that sometimes we get enticed by that title or that money or you know whatever that thing is that you might be chasing or that that empty place that you're filling in that moment to take this next step and that 
it's okay to recognize and to learn from those experiences. But for me, the big takeaway was good hard versus bad hard. And in good hard, I'm learning, I'm growing, um, I, I'm seeing new ways of working. And in bad hard, it it affects my whole being. It affects my health. It affects my well-being. It affects my ability to bring my best self to work, all of those kinds of things. And when we're out of alignment with ourselves and in that bad hard place, that's when we've got to do that evaluation of, can I keep doing the Sisyphus and pushing the rock up the hill and getting rolled over and smattered? Or is it time to put the rock aside and look for another way of moving forward and taking that role somewhere else? I really like that good hard versus bad hard because it's so true. You don't want, I mean, you need to be challenged in your career. Otherwise you start to lose the interest or passion and you start to feel a little run down in your career. So having that good heart is, is, is really good, really valuable. And it's one of those things on social media, you start seeing like people rebelling against that, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see that as a good thing that they're rebelling against it. Cause I don't, they, I think they really need some of that. Do you find like having these conversations, it is harder when you are working with a remote team versus having people that are right in front of you in the office? I think what can be hard is if you don't have a relationship, like if you're not spending that time to get to know one another or you're one way in the meetings that you're having with the person and another way when you're not with them. And um, I think this is, we have to be authentic and not everybody is. And there's that reality of, I might have to have hard conversations with you and we don't have that psychological safety or we don't have that trusted relationship because of whatever our reasoning is. And I think that that's one of the difficulties. And I don't think that that matters if we're remote or not. Um, but when you've got a screen between you and if you've got a poor internet connection and we're trying to have a conversation, you know, and you may not be on video because, you know, you needed to reserve bandwidth so that you can hear me um, and IU, then that can make it very hard to look a person in the eye, to get to know them, you know, to share the types of things that we would in a cooler, in the kitchen, getting coffee, those kinds of things that we might have if we were in the workplace. But I'll, I'll also challenge people a little bit differently because I'll say when the pandemic happened, as directors, we were asked to come back into the office early, but then I sat in my office by myself behind a screen, having meetings, not with the same people, with people that are also in their offices or at home. And all of that has changed. So regardless of the configuration that you're in, there's going to be somebody who's remote. Like we were a global company. You are working with people that are automatically remote because you're not in the same country, but we've somehow like disadvantaged and talked that part down, even though that's the way that we've been working all along. And I think that there's ways to build that same kind of psychological safety, that trust, that value between, you know, relationships and interactions, regardless of if it's on the telephone, if it's in this video chat way of doing it, 
and we use Teams or Zoom and we're having instant message interactions all day long. So those kinds of things, you know, we, we even have a break room in one of our chat channels that is for like, you're on lunch, you're taking your break, you want to throw something funny out, you want to talk about what you did last night so that we can have that kind of water cooler chat and share those experiences and get to know each other personally and not just, hey, I've got this customer with this issue that's trying to do this. Can I get some help here? Does anybody know what to do with this? You know, it, it changes the game when we're actually interacting as human beings too. Yeah. And I don't want to get off topic and you can let me know if this is outside of the scope of what we should be talking about, but you, I'm excited because you brought up psychological safety. Do you have maybe like a few pointers or like maybe one or two things you do to build psychological safety with your team? So one of my favorite things, and this is something I did at my previous employer, because when you're working in an agile environment, then you've got to kind of break down those walls in order to get to the goodness and the acceleration in this way of working, then we've got to understand one another. And I'll say the team that's driving the change, whether it's a product or you know process and the team that's delivering that change for us in IT, there's sometimes that friction again. And, and some friction is good, right? Like a healthy conflict, you want some of that, but where we build towards psychological safety is we start talking about the why behind the what. And this is where we can say, Bernie Brown talks about like, we've got to tell our stories. So the story that I'm telling myself about this situation is blah, blah, blah. And I had an individual that I was coaching um, and that was part of what I had to walk through with this individual was to say, here's the story that I'm hearing about the interactions that you're having with the customers that we're serving with your team members. And here's, here's how they're perceiving what you're bringing to the table. And here's what it looks like. And then let that person respond with, oh, well, I'm trying to do blah, 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 blah. Okay. Do you see why they might take that as this other way of being received? You know, and, and this is where it's really important. Like, did you get a yes or a no? And are they fighting against this? You know, do they not have that self-awareness? This is the emotional intelligence side of it, but we've got to be able to understand like what's driving it. There's a, a great picture of like the iceberg sitting in the water and what's beneath. And one of the things that I've used to talk about change before is like on the top of that, we see the attitudes, the behaviors, the languages that people use, but down beneath that, we have, you know, the whole hierarchy of needs. And we talk about like, maybe the reason that they're acting the way that they are is because they're afraid that they're going to lose their job, that they're afraid if I lose my job, I can't feed my family or myself. If I, you know, if I'm not good at this anymore, will I then lose all of these other things, my social well-being, my physical well-being, all the rest of those things. And if I'm, if I'm living with all of this anxiety, the outward stuff, could be this big volcano of horribleness that I'm spewing on everybody. But if I go back and I understand and I take that time to get to know what it is, that why behind the what I'm seeing, I have a better outcome. So I'm a huge fan of the why behind the what and helping to break that down with teams, even to be able to say, hey, um, like marketing as an example, 
if you're trying to drive this kind of behavior, why are you trying to drive that behavior? What are you trying to do? Can you tell me the bigger picture behind this? We were using the Salesforce application as an example. So it has this whole life cycle of services. Which services are we going to partake of? Because if I build just with the idea of this one piece that I'm adding to and not the big story that I'm building toward, I might be creating what we call in technology, that technical debt. All of this stuff that I'm going to have to undo in order to build to the bigger part. And then that cre- that takes longer. There's It just keeps getting more and more. And then you never get to the good stuff. Or we build all of this great stuff that nobody ever uses. And you've got 7% of your product that's actually in utilization and the other 93% that's at some level of, you know, touch, which could be none. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. And I've never heard of that term technical debt. And that's an interesting term to use. And I also love the visual you provided for the piece of what you're not seeing. It's so true. And you know, for sure that emotional intelligence comes into play and being able to have those. And I think from the beginning, what we've been talking about, being able to have those honest, radical, being radically candid with your people and having the conversations that you need to have and not being afraid of it, but just like approaching it in a positive way that is going to produce the best outcome for for everybody. So, um, So I know we talked about, so we could do like a whole day or two workshop on all of this. Right. <laughs> so much that to talk about. So we talked about what is the idea of having a conscious career? What are the steps to take to walk your your people through it? Kind of some examples. Is there anything else that'd be helpful for to, to our listeners on this topic that we haven't talked about? Yeah. So one of the other things that I love to share is in regard to sponsorship and mentorship. So As we grow our careers, this is where like your network matters, who knows you matters, especially when a company is in a big growth phase. So you might be newer to the organization and people may not know who you are, but you could be a superstar. But if you're not known as a commodity across the organization or in those spaces where they're having the conversations about who belongs where, how do we elevate them? How do we bring our high potentials? Then it's an it's a missed opportunity. So how do I get to that place? So a couple of things are the find a mentor, find many mentors. I have an individual who I met um, through Help Desk Institute for um, IT folks. It was Help Desk Institute. Now it's, then it was HDI and now it's Think HDI. And it's a professional organization of practitioners that share their knowledge in this space. And around the IT service management and knowledge space in service operations. So how do we do the work that we do and understanding how other teams, we're all solving very similar problems. We're not that different. And sometimes I think we think we're that different, but we're not. But if you're not in those kinds of relationships where you're receiving information outside of your organization or your knowledge set, you're not growing in that. And that's where other people can help to mentor you and guide you. I learned how to do cases, operations, uh, plans, all of those things, because I was like, I have this problem that I want to tell this story in our organization, or I want them to give us this opportunity. And I've had um, interactions with people who are like, oh, have you tried to do it like this? 
And even those informal mentoring moments are really crucial. And it's nice to have, you know, if you have other opportunities to have a more formal mentorship experience, but I'll say it's really important to understand that in a mentoring relationship, that you're both bringing something to the table and there has to be a desire. If there's not a desire, I find it's really hard to mentor somebody. And if there's not some place of connection where we can both feed into one another and help each other to grow and receive value out of the interaction, that's a challenge. And then the difference on the sponsorship side is those people that are taking your name into the room to have those conversations. So both are really important, especially when you're at a point in your career where you want to be leveling up, you need that sponsorship. And if you don't have that, one of the ways that I've built that is I read a book by Shelley Archambault and oh, I can't even think of what it's called right now, but she talks about her career at IBM and finding the pattern that those that had reached the top ranks at IBM had followed and she started calling people up and having informal conversations with them to learn about what their experience was. And then she's like, oh, everybody at IBM did this role, went you know, into the Pacific region and then you know, achieved this level of leadership. And that I had to be flexible in where I lived because they had to be able to move around and things like that. So she identified those patterns and went after them, but then she would just call people up and be like, hey, I'd like to have this conversation with you. So I did the same thing. I went and met leaders throughout um, our global organization. I picked their brains. I want to know what problems were they trying to solve? What were they trying to do? What did they care about? Hey, you know, I saw that you talked about this in a town hall or in another interaction. And I was really curious about that. And it wasn't because I was trying to tell them all about me, even though I shared a, you know, a one slide presentation about myself, but I want to know about them and think about like, how could my skill set be beneficial to them? How could I give back to them in these ways and maybe, you know, offer another way to approach something because our different ways of thinking can help to solve problems. It's that whole diversity of thought and not just diverse environments or diverse, yeah. diverse people. Yeah, I appreciate you br- that you brought that up. And I, I completely agree in mentorship. And it, with sponsorship, I think a lot of people think that it's enough that your boss knows what you're doing, but it's not. I mean, they're being influenced and they have to talk to people that are really making the decisions or influencing the decision. So it's so important to have that. And the book, is it Apologetically yes. Ambitious? Okay, yeah. I just wanted to be able to like uh, say that for anybody listening. So, okay, perfect. Yeah, I think the other thing is to tie into the cultural aspect of your organization. So the organization that I'm at today, you know, as we brought high potentials forward, that was one of the things that I heard from the other leaders. Oh, but I don't know your leader. So that, or I don't know this person on your team. So now I've got to, because I think that this person, you know, has a ton of potential. I've got to make sure that they're in the right interactions so that others can see it. So that when we're sitting around the table, it's not just my voice being like, oh, you know, I've got the best team and here's why. Because if nobody else in the room knows my people, it doesn't matter because nobody else can stand with me to elevate the sound and, you know, of your voice in the room. Love that. That's a, a interesting perspective that I don't think has come up before in that for the new leaders, it's something to think about that 
don't be overprotective of your little kingdom that, you know, you need to, it's not only you being aware, but if you have a growth plan for someone on your team, then you need to also be making those connections and putting them in those spots or giving those opportunities where they can get that visibility as well. And it's part of your role as a leader. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'd love to move to maybe some of you, like some personal things about you. Um, with uh, leadership, when you started out as a leader, is there something that you wish you would have known starting out? Yeah, the big one that I learned was I don't have to do everything. I don't have to know everything. And um, I don't have to be responsible for everything. So that's something that I love to share with my leaders today is we've got to learn to delegate. And I know that sometimes it can feel because we want to get to done and that time between today and done, it can be too, it can feel too long, but that investment that we make in somebody else to get them up to speed, to be able to do this work is advantageous to them, but us as well. So that's what gets us to acceleration. If more people can do this, plus the other thing that I learned is I can go on vacation. Nobody's calling me. Nobody's emailing me because I've armed, empowered, and taught my team how to make decisions. What are the things that I'm looking for, the things that I care about, the things that are going to get us into trouble, but then to also be on the other side of that, to be able to say, what did we learn from it? I'm not here for it to be this punitive thing that you did a terrible thing and now you know we're all in trouble, but to be able to say, help me to understand why we made that decision so that I understand your thought process so that we can figure out where in that thought process we made the, the left turn when we should have gone right. Yeah, delegation is so important. <laughs> it's one of the critical skills that new leaders and I mean, even experienced leaders just don't have a good handle on and they need to be aware of the benefits of taking that time uh, up front and getting them where getting their team where they need to be. When we talked about mentorship, is, did you, is there a mentor that you can look back on and, and say that they've had a big influence on your career or life? Yeah. So Brent Heineman is somebody who I've known for over 20 years. We met at HDI and uh, he is a vendor and he sold a service and we just connected and then it turned out when my company needed this service, I was able to connect that back to him and the services they provided. And then he's brought job opportunities to me. There's two different opportunities that he recommended me for that I moved into and were great things for my career, um, big opportunities to change and to level up. And he has also been on the personal side where as we've raised our children and gone through the difficulties associated with that. And he too, his children are adult aged. And one of his daughters is somebody that I mentor now. And she and I, she just texted me yesterday and we're going to go and have um, lunch or coffee uh, here shortly and keep encouraging one another through these changes in our careers and the growth that we're seeing and, you know, personal lives. So I, I love that over these last couple of decades that we've gotten to see each other grow um, the way that we have within our careers and our lives, our faith, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that is, it goes and it talks about the power of networking as well, because you never know who 
you're going to meet and how those people might impact your life. Definitely. And then in terms of wellness, is there a routine that you have, like a daily routine in the morning or evening that you attribute your mental wellness to? Yeah. So I am, if I get out of my pattern, because I've got ADHD, so I can get like a little bit off track. So for me, that whole having a way of doing things is really important. And in the morning, I'm a coffee person. Brent used to joke when we were doing business early. He's like, do not talk to Heather before she's, you know, had her second cup of coffee. I'm a one cup of coffee person nowadays, but you know, when I get up in the morning, I'll go down and I have an espresso machine and I'll make myself a latte. And then I go and I sit in my back room and it's, you know, my time for prayer reflection, I play Wordle with my cousins and uh, aunt and uncle. And then I listen to an audio book. It's, I don't have a commute anymore. So this is my, you know, pre-work routine to transition from sleep into thoughtfulness and my approach to the day. You know, I, I love that taking out the commute has really added a lot of time to people's schedule because where it was getting up, having coffee, getting a shower, eating something real quick and running, it's not like I've been hearing more and more like people take this time in the morning and do quite a bit before they even step into their work role, which is, uh, I love that. Yes. And I feel bad that at some instances is being taken away for maybe not great reasons, but. What about a song that like you'll put on when you need a little bit of confidence boost or some energy? Do you have a go-to song that you like? I do. And it's Rachel Patton's fight song. So it's just one of those songs where, you know, just back to filling you up, get empowered, like again, that reflection you've come so far. it, 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 It is sometimes a slug. It can be difficult to get through, but just keep on keep on keeping on like we're trying to get past that whole hustle culture and it's not just always like being on or being busy but being intentional with our time and fighting the right fights or the best yeses all of those kinds of things so that's what I appreciate about that song that's so interesting that song actually came up yesterday in a conversation I was having with a friend so (laughs) that's always on top of mind for me that it is a pretty powerful song I love that um And then we have started asking our guests, uh, just because we like to help improve the quality of our, the audience's lives. Is there something that you've bought recently that was around a hundred dollars or less that you feel has added, made a difference in your life in some way or added value? Yeah. So I'm a big Birkenstock fan. So again, being at home now, slippers, uh, Birkenstock makes these great Zermatt, um, wool felt slippers. I have them on right now, but I live in Cleveland. It's cold here. So I wear my regular Birkenstocks all the time when it's warmer, but my slippers during this time of year, perfect. And I can wear them outside to take the garbage out or bring the dog out, all of that kind of stuff, sometimes to the grocery store, to be honest, but I love these slippers and they're light rose. So a a pink color. So they're also fun. Oh, yeah. And I, I am all for wearing slippers to the grocery store. So (laughs) no judgment. (laughs) And then the last question before we get into kind of the sign off, do you have a book that you've read recently that 
I know we talked about a few, or we talked about at least one. Is there a book that you have read that you'd recommend, nonfiction or fiction? Um, yeah, so we just finished, we had our book club meeting yesterday uh, for our work group, and it's called Upstream, The Quest to Solve Problems Before They Happen by Dan Heath. And I loved it. It reminded me of Freakonomics and somebody else on the call said the same thing, but it talks about problem blindness. And I thought that's so important in our culture today. We, I talked a little bit about that whole um, being on autopilot. And this talks about habituation and that we, you know, we've done things for so long that this is just the way that we've accepted it to be. And we don't recognize that we can change it, that it doesn't need to remain this way. And I think that that's so critical where we are today from a, a social justice perspective, our workplaces, sometimes we need that fresh view. That's why I believe in vacation too, because you come back and you have a new perspective and a little bit of space from the day-to-day. Yeah, I actually, I've seen that book. I haven't read it. So I'm going to have to add that one to my list. I love getting these book recommendations. I know it's for the audience, but it's also for me too. <laughs> actually, a lot of these conversations are for me uh, as well as the <laughs> audience. I always learn something new. So with that, that said, I really appreciate you coming on and I'd love to give you the opportunity if there's any like last minute thoughts you have. And if the reader, if the readers, if the listeners can reach out to you, if they have any questions or want to say hello, is there a good place from it? Can they do that? And is there a good place for them to do that? Yeah, for sure. So um, final thoughts, just stay curious. I think that's the best advice that I would give anyone that, you know, as long as we are curious and we don't, you know, ever get to the point that we think that we know everything or we have all the answers then there's an opportunity to continue to grow and have new perspectives and experiences in this life. And if you want to reach out to me, catch me on LinkedIn. I spend probably uh, most of my time out there in the social world. It's Heather-Brizzy. So I'd love to connect with you and hear more about what you're going through or answer any of the questions that they may have. Great. Well, yeah, love that, uh, leaving leaving with that. And it's been such an interesting conversation. A lot of things that lead me to think more about that I haven't really talked to anybody about. So I appreciate you providing such insight and I appreciate you spending the time and coming on here with us. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, good. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and thanks again. You too. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Michelle again. Just one more thing before you take off. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash boss track or sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It's easy to sign up and easy to cancel. Every Monday, we send out a short exclusive newsletter of what we found during the week that we're excited about, we're inspired by, and we're watching and reading. If you'd like to check it out, just to go to thebosstrack.com forward slash newsletter. Just type that into your browser, thebosstrack.com forward slash newsletter. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.